Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, February 8th, 2013. This week, episode 273 comes to you from Studio D. We're back in lovely Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in the studio at the controls is our engineer, Roxy V. Val Bender. Good afternoon. Joining us from Studio C, back in McKee's Rocks, is the Z-Man, Cliff Zotta. Hey, Joe, good to be back and good to be on the air with you again. Always a pleasure, Cliff. At, uh, we'll have our technical director join us at the uh, close of the show, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Today's segments, we're going to have an interview with Dan Coughlin. He's an author and executive coach. Looking forward to talking a little bit about business, uh, executive business decisions and making your business move forward, especially in these difficult economic times. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, you can listen to the show by going to iaqradio.com. There's a link that says Go To Show. You can go there and download previous shows. You can listen to a streaming version right from our homepage at iaqradio.com. And, of course, you can download shows from iTunes. We also have certification maintenance points for those of you that need ABIH, IICRC, or ACAC renewal credits. Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thank you, Joe. When a 
pinnacle prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submit your answers easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. To John Lapotere, MicroShield Environmental Services, Winter Springs, Florida, for winning a hotly contested online battle and being the first person to correctly answer last week's trivia question. The answer was Dr. Eugene Shoemaker. He was the man whose last wish was fulfilled when his remains were sent to the moon on a spacecraft in the late 1990s. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, February 8, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your source to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Visit their website at www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. From 1934 through the 1970s, Name the American automotive engine design that dominated American open-wheel racing, winning the Indianapolis 500 race 27 times and still being popular among vintage sprint and midget car racers today. Back to you, Joe. Okay. Today's guest is Dan Coglin. Dan is an author and executive coach. And from Maui to Budapest, he has worked with senior-level executives and business owners to help improve their impact as business leaders on branding, innovation, and execution. His long list of clients include well-known names like Remax, Shell, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Marriott, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, GE, Toyota, and his hometown St. Louis Cardinals, plus more than 200 other organizations. As an executive coach, Dan has invested over 3,000 hours on site in more than 30 industries with working with more than 170 executives to bring their key business outcomes. He is the author of three books, Beat Yesterday, The Management 500, and Find a Way to Win. He has been quoted in USA Today, Investors Business Daily, the Journal of American Management Association, and his articles have been published in more than 100 trade association publications. Dan lives in St. Louis, Missouri, where he comes to us today from his hometown in St. Louis with his wife, Barb, and their children, Sarah and Ben. Please join me in welcoming Dan to the show. Dan, do we have you on the line? Yes, yes. Uh, well, Looking forward to this conversation, Joe. Well, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We know you're a busy uh, author and executive coach. It's great to have you. You, you do a lot with leaders and, and leadership. Um, I guess my first question, Dan, is are leaders either born or are they made? I would say definitely made. I, you know, I think that if you study any any famous leader or anybody that you know personally that's an effective leader, I think that you can trace back and find out how they, you can see where they develop their ability to influence other people. 
So I would say that a great leader is really made over time because leadership really is a skill. You know, I don't think it's an inherent trait at all. And uh, it, to me, what leadership means is influencing how other people think so they make decisions that improve results. And so that ability to influence other people is really a skill that's developed over time. You know, that, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've, I've been seeing lately General David Petraeus has been on a lot, you know, promoting a new book, and obviously he left uh, under a little bit of uh, difficult circumstances. But in thinking about it just now while you were talking, I'm thinking, well, you know, he went to West Point. That's where they train leaders, and I guess that, you know, there is a process for, for training leaders. Would you agree? Well, there's a lot of ways to develop leaders. I mean, West Point has their style, but I imagine there were people in David Petraeus' life, I don't know for a fact, but I would imagine there were people in his life that helped to develop some of his leadership skills over the years, and his style, West Point, was probably one of them. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there is a process, well, there is a process that people can go through, but there are a lot of ways that, that leaders develop over their lifetime. Okay. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Can you tell us about the four critical leadership questions? So what what are they, and, and how can a business owner use those, the important questions? Yeah. You know, I have worked directly with about 170 executives, business owners, uh, senior executives, senior directors in Fortune 500 companies, business owners, small businesses, medium-sized businesses. And then I've studied uh, leaders for most of the last 20 years. What I found is that leaders generally answer four questions. It may not be quite as formal as the way I'm going to lay this out here, but these are the four questions I have found that people answer. Question number one is, what is the most important outcome that you want to improve in your organization? Now, your organization could be a country, it could be a, a company, it could be a business, but what's the most important outcome that you want to improve? I think the first step of being an effective business leader is prioritization. If a business owner is trying to improve too many outcomes at the same time, they end up diluting their impact on all of them. Then the second question is, who do you need to influence in order to improve that outcome? So make a list of the, the people that you need to actually influence who are going to have the greatest impact on that outcome. Now, it could be individual names or it could be types of people that you need to influence, certain types of suppliers, certain types of customers that you need to influence. So make a list of who you need to influence to improve that outcome. Then the third question is, how do you want those people to think before they make a decision? So what are the three or four steps that you want them to think through before they make a decision? Or what are the three or four items you want them to think about before they make a decision? And then the last question is, and this is really the art of leadership, what are you going to do to actually influence how they think? So specifically, what are you going to do to influence each of those different individuals that you wrote down the names of? And then, you know, you and I could talk right now about a whole variety of ways to influence how people think. I'll just give you a couple right off the top here. One is the example. You know, if you want people to behave and think through certain things before they make a decision, how can you demonstrate that example in your own uh, behaviors and your own thought processes before you make a decision. And then another one would be the teacher. Could you explain an idea, break it down, and make it easier for the other person to understand? So there's a whole variety of ways that you can influence how people think 
But those are the four big questions. What's the outcome you want to improve? Who do you need to influence? How do you want them to think? And then what are you going to do to influence how they think? You know, Dan, you deal a lot with big companies. And I, I don't know, my first thought, I have a, a small company. My first thought, most important outcome you want to improve. Well, we all want to make more money. Uh, does that come up a lot of times? Well, of course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, improving profits, uh, improving revenues, in, uh, uh, improving the bottom line. Those are all important topics okay. that people will want to talk about. And then the next question I would ask is, okay, if you want to improve profits in your business, who are the key people that you need to influence in order to improve those profits? And that could be your customers. It could be potential customers. It could be your employees, etc. Am I getting this right? Yeah, I mean, it could be those folks. It could also be key people in a, in a geographic area that could uh, influence your potential customers. So, for example, um, you know, if you owned a car dealership, if there was a key individual in a community that you could influence, um, that that person might then um, influence other people in that community, that might be a person on your list. Okay, maybe an association. Uh, we work a lot with associations, association management companies, association leaders. So I'm thinking along those lines. All right, then I got number three. How do you want those people to think about, I, I, I guess my writing is not as good as I want. Let's go back through number three. How do you want them to think about making a decision? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. so what steps do you want them to think through? So uh, if you're dealing with an association leader, and, you're, and you want them to make a decision about hiring yourself, perhaps, or your company. Mm -hmm. So what are the, I mean, I don't know the exact details of, the, of your situation, but what are the steps that you want that person to think through before they make a decision? Hmm. Okay. So what, what, what are either steps or key items that you would like them to think about before they make a decision? So, you know, if we want to talk about your situation, what, what is it that they would be hiring, or what, what product or service would they be buying? Well, let's say um, uh, management or, uh, program development, developing training courses. Okay, so what steps do you want the decision maker at the association to think through before they make a decision on hiring a, a person to put together a training program? Okay, okay, I think I got it. I, I, we, we don't want to go too much into that one, but... Um, I don't want to use my own time, although I love doing this with the guests <laughs> because it's great to have that ability to meet with them. So I get to that, and then I think, okay, what will I do, I guess, or my staff do to influence how they think about that process? Right, exactly. Okay. So, for example, uh, you might tell a story uh, about someone who rushed to buy something uh, based just on emotion, just based purely on, boy, I really connected well with that person. I thought that person was great. And I ended up with a really poor program for my association meeting. And then you could say to them, the point of that story is that even though you have a great connection with the person, is that really the, 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 uh, the most important factor before you hire somebody to put together a training program? So you're influencing them to think about what should be important to a person who's hiring you know, uh, somebody who's going to put together a training program. Well, you want to think about the impact on the audience. You want to think about the impact on the outcome for the association. 
So it's not just about a personal connection with the trainer. It's more important to think through um, the, the actual impact for their association. So you could tell a story that, that could influence how they think. You could, um, you could be the teacher and break it down. You know, let's, let's talk about what's important for this association and break it down into what's, what's the first most important thing of a good meeting? What's the second most important thing of a good training session? What's the third most important thing? So now you're breaking it down for them to think through. Then when they start to make a decision, now you're in a position to say, these are the things that we could really deliver for you. Hmm. I like that, Dan. Doc Cliff, I'm sorry I got, uh, I got all tied up there and didn't let you get back in. No problem. I can catch up. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. And my question is, what's the formula for measuring value that you use, and how do you suggest our audience members can use your formula? Yeah, you know, I've done a ton of work for McDonald's over the years, and their formula for value from the customer's perspective is QSC divided by P, quality times service times cleanliness divided by price. And, you know, so a quality product times fast, accurate, and friendly service times the cleanliness of the restaurant divided by the price of the item. That's how, how customers measure value. Well, last year I was given a speech at Boeing, and, they, and someone in the audience asked me, you know, I use my definition of value. My definition of value is value is anything that increases the chances that the other person will achieve what he or she wants to achieve. So everywhere, everywhere you go, people are talking about value. So to me, value is anything that increases the chances that the other person will achieve what he or she wants to achieve. And then when I was at Boeing last year, someone asked me, so how do you measure value? And I had to really think about it. I didn't have a good answer on the spot. So I developed a simple formula like McDonald's, and my formula is value equals I divided by C. V equals I divided by C. So value to the customer is the improvement in his or her desired outcome divided by the cost to the customer of achieving that improvement. And the cost to a customer in, includes things like price, it includes things like time, it includes things like energy. So for your audience members, when you're thinking about it from your customer's point of view, what is it that they're going to improve as a result of buying from you, and what's it going to cost that customer in terms of price, actual dollars, in terms of time on the customer's part, and in terms of energy or frustration or convenience on the part of the customer. So if you just keep those two things in mind, the improvement in terms of the customer's desired outcome and the cost to the customer of achieving that improvement, if you, if you make every decision in your business go through that formula, I think what you can do is you can be seen more and more as a value-added company. Okay. Cliff, do you have another one? Sure. Um, what does innovation mean to you, and how can a company innovate effectively in a tough economic environment? Now, innovation to me means uh, creating appropriate value for other people and delivering it through a better experience for them. I used to think innovation meant making a better product or service, but what I found out is that's not really the case. An innovative company figures out what's the appropriate value for the other person. You know, for example, uh, the, I, the, I, um, the iPod came out in uh, 2001, and it was a breakthrough product. 15, I think it originally had 1,000 songs. It eventually got up to 15,000 songs. But what they found at Apple was 
you didn't necessarily need the absolute highest uh, product for every customer. So they came out with the iPod Nano, the iPod Touch, and so on. You know, the iPad became the iPad Mini. So innovation is figuring out what's the appropriate value for the other person. Um, I'll give you a really good example where an innovation was a real breakthrough. Starbucks was selling $4 cafe, you know, uh, um, cappuccinos, frappuccinos, lattes, and so on. McDonald's came out with the McDonald's McCafe, and the McCafe offered something similar, not quite at the same level of quality, but they found that people wanted a good cup of coffee, a really good cup of coffee, but they really wanted to spend about $2 a cup. And so they were able to really come up with an innovation by creating an appropriate amount of value, not necessarily trying to, to outdo Starbucks on their coffee, but create a product at a lower price point that was really uh, very, very powerful and effective. Hmm. And so that's innovation. It doesn't necessarily mean you're creating something new. You might be improving on an existing product. Yeah, definitely. Okay. You could take an existing idea and iterate. Just take what, what's already available and just make it one notch better. It could really be a breakthrough. I mean, if you think about the original iPhone in 2007, Everything that was on the iPhone, or at least a large number of things that were on the original iPhone, already existed. You know, digital music, cell phones, um, a whole host of things. The iteration for, for that was, let's combine these into one device so that a customer doesn't have to buy an iPod, a cell phone, a digital camera, and so on. Well, for your listeners, is there something that you're providing right now, a product or a service, that if you could just iterate it, just take it one notch more, would really be a breakthrough for the customer that would create more appropriate value for the customer? Uh, so that's, that's really uh, – innovation is not always some fancy scientific development. It could be as simple as, um, uh, you know, like the McDonald's McCafe, for example, was a great example. Mm-hmm. Or the double drive-through at McDonald's was an innovation where you could take an idea that already existed and just build on it, and it had a tremendous impact on results. What was that, the double drive-through? I, I, it broke up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a double drive-through where many restaurants, McDonald's restaurants around the country now have a double drive-through where two cars can pull up simultaneously and start to place their orders, and they get a lot more cars through that way. Okay. So they, I haven't been to a McDonald's in so long, I didn't know they exist, <laughs> that existed. Dan, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have something else you wanted to add? Oh, no, no, that's okay. Okay. Cliff? Um, you know, we talked about innovation during tough economic times. Um you know, when dealing with an economic downturn, uh, recession, whatever we want to call it, over the last, you know, four or five years, can you comment on that? Yeah, I think one thing that every company should be thinking about is to provide customers with options. If you just provide a customer with a single option, either the, at the lowest price point or at the highest price, price point in the industry, uh, you're going to lose out on a lot of business opportunities. There was a book written uh, by Dr. Alan Weiss back in 1992 called Million Dollar Consulting. And it's really a tremendous book for professional service firms. But he made the point that if you give a customer a single option of this product, yes or no, you know, you really put them into a corner. 
they have to either choose yes or they have to choose no to that product. And then they, if they choose no, then they have to leave. He said it would be much more effective to give people a choice of yeses. So giving people solutions that, to help them achieve what they want to achieve at different price points, because some people just naturally want the highest price point. They want the absolute best product available. Some people just absolutely want the lowest price point available um, with, with the very, very minimum enough to, to be able to achieve what they want to achieve. And then some people will always go for the middle option. You know, if you say to somebody, um, would you like fries? And, and then you say, would you like small, medium, or large? Some people, no matter, without even seeing the bag of fries, will choose small, medium, or large just because of the way that they're wired. So I would say in tough economic times, it's very important to always give customers a choice of yeses to choose from rather than just give them one option, uh, one product or one service at one price point. Well, I like that, Dan. That really hits home. I uh... We've been working on that here with our training programs because, it, you know, we need to expand our our ability to say yes. So if you can't attend a three-day course in person, then maybe you could take a correspondence course or maybe you could take a web-based course or maybe you could do a um, set webinar. You know what I mean? That, to me, is something that we need to work on, and we are. So I, I appreciate you uh, emphasizing that. Now, I noticed somewhere, and I can't remember where this question came from, and I maybe you kind of covered it already, but I don't know if, if the wording is different. What effect do parameters have on innovation? What do we mean by parameters, first of all? Well, you know, this, this, this question could really be applied to the whole country, our whole country. But when people have parameters, when you're in a tough economic situation and the money is not flowing, banks are not giving out loans as much as they were before back in 2005, 2006. So now people have to deal with very strict financial parameters. Or let's say you have a very strict time parameter. Well, that actually can increase innovation because now you're forced to really think about, with our limited resources, what can we do right now to create more appropriate value for our customers so anyone listening to this, this interview, with the, with the parameters that you have to deal with within your business, keep those in mind because those are actually healthy. Those actually force people to get more focused. Within those parameters, what can you do that would create more appropriate value for your customers? You know, one of the challenges I think we face as a country is when you have unlimited budgets, and you can always, always increase the deficit. It doesn't really force people to come up with more innovative solutions because we can always think, well, we can just outspend the problem. But if we really had a tight, fixed budget, it would force, on a national level, it would, it would force people to make decisions on how we can create more appropriate value for people. And, and I don't know what would come out of that on national health care, for example, or education, but um, it would be, I, I personally think it would be much more powerful if we had a fixed parameter to operate within which is really what small business owners have. You know, you don't have an unlimited amount of money, especially in these kind of times. And so within that parameter, what can you do with your existing products and services or develop a new product or service that would create more appropriate value for your customers? And with, let me go back to our earlier discussion, the most important outcome you want to improve. So could I say, all right, my most important outcome is I want to 
I want to expand my menu of services and I want to do it within this parameter of my financial constraints and my current existing staff, etc., and then kind of work back down through the questions you went through earlier? Well, what I would suggest is the first question, what I would, if, you, if I was actually working with you as an outside coach on that, I would say, if you expand your menu of services and products, what's the outcome you're hoping to improve? Mm-hmm. Are you hoping to diversify your customer base? Are you hoping to get further and deeper into a, a given customer? Are you hoping to open up new, uh, new markets, new types of customers that you would work with as a result of offering so what's the desired outcome of having a wider menu base of uh, service offerings? All right. Well, let's go back to another thing you brought up. My, my desired outcome is to give people more opportunity to say yes. Existing people that call in. So now I have to go to the next step. What do you need to influence? What do you need to do to influence um, influence? who do you need to influence, I'm sorry, to impact that outcome? Right, right. So so I would start with the the desired outcome. So if the desired outcome, well, even if you could say that your desired outcome is to be able to offer people more choices of yeses, is it your current customer base or are you going after a new type of customer? Current. So current. Okay, so current. So what you want to do is you want to grow your business with with your existing customer base and so then the, so, so then I would suggest to you, are, who are those individuals? So let's say you came up with 10 people, and now how is it that you want them to think before they make a decision? So then I would suggest that maybe what you could do is use the questioner approach or the facilitator approach to influence how they think. So maybe you come up with three or four questions that you're going to ask these people that are your current customers. For example, you might ask, um, in your training today, uh, what happens as a result of a training session the way you're doing it today? And they might say something like, well, people come all excited. They, they're all excited at the end of the training session, but it doesn't really impact their behaviors two weeks later. So what I need is some way to, to reinforce what they learn in a training session. So now you're causing them to think about the importance of follow-up and reinforcement. And then you can talk about expanding your service offerings to include things like follow-up phone, uh, phone conversations with each of the attendees. Mm-hmm. You could talk about uh, the importance of having follow-up emails uh, on, a, uh, say, a weekly or a biweekly basis for those who attended your training session to reinforce the ideas that they have already received. I like that. If you want to influence them to think about the, the importance of not a training session, but what, what they really want is they really want behavior changes in their companies. And so your extended, your extended offerings could help them achieve that. I like it, Dan. Well, Dan, we've already run up onto halftime here, a little bit over. Uh, we're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors. We'll be right back with Dan Coglin, who is an author and executive coach. Very interesting interview on uh, trying to make sure that our leaders uh, do a little better job, especially during these tough economic times. We'll be right back after our thanks to our sponsors.
Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview with Dan Coglin. We're talking about uh, a little bit about business and leadership issues. And we, we went over some of the leadership questions, the four critical leadership questions. We went through the formula for measuring value and talked quite a bit about innovation. For the second half here, Dan, I'd like to start out with a discussion of branding a little bit what do you see as like the three most important factors in a business brand and how can an organization strengthen their brand well i think there are three things when you think about any brand you think about the value that the company delivers you think about who they deliver the value to and you think about how they deliver that value so for example disney world you know, the value is family memories, great memories, great times, lots of smiles. How do they deliver that value? You know, in multiple ways, you know, rides, uh, you know, a whole host of ways that they deliver the value. And who do they deliver that value to? They're primarily focused on families and family members. And um, so they, the, the, whole, the whole family together. So when you, when you think about your brand or anybody who's listening to this interview, when you think about your brand, think about those three questions. What's the value that you're known for delivering? How do you deliver that value? And who do you deliver that value to? Then, to strengthen your brand, what I suggest you do is conduct a brand audit. Make a list of all the activities in your organization, everything that everybody does. Just make a list of everything that's, that happens in your business. And then go through your list of all those activities and ask yourself, of all these activities, which ones have the greatest impact on strengthening our brand? What is it we're actually doing that really connects to the value that we're known for delivering, the way that we deliver that value, and the people that we deliver that value to? 
And if you do that, if you rank all the activities in your business, I think what you're going to start to find is that some activities really are not strengthening your brand at all. And those are the ones that I encourage people to let go of. Focus your attention on those things that will really have the greatest impact on strengthening the value that you want to be known for delivering, the way you deliver it, and the people that you want to be known for delivering it to. Don't allow yourself to go off on tangents, but stay focused. Um, <clears throat> now, here's a little, a, a little simpler exercise, a, a, a subversion of what I just said, and I call it the 136 exercise. The 136 exercise is, so what is the value that you want to be known for delivering as an organization? What three things can you personally do that would have the greatest positive impact on, on, on improving that value that you want to be known for delivering? And then what six things do you personally need to stop doing so you have the time and the energy to do those three things that would really matter the most? Hmm. Now, those three questions, the one, three, six exercise, I have found it a really challenge people, especially the last question about what are you going to stop doing? Because it really forces people to say, okay, I got to give up this in order to really focus on the few things that would really help our brand the most. So that's one suggestion on strengthening a brand. The other thought I have for you is sometimes people get to a point where they feel they have to reinvent their brand. So I want to make a couple quick comments on reinventing your brand. Okay. If you want to reinvent your brand as a business, you can do it by changing any one of those three answers. In other words, the value that you're known for delivering, the way you deliver value, or the people that you deliver value to. If you change your answer to any of those three and go in a different direction for any one, two, or all three of those answers, you will change your brand. You will reinvent your business. The challenge is... If you get addicted to reinventing your business too often, you're going to dilute your brand altogether, and people are going to have no idea what you stand for, and that will really, really hurt your business. So reinvention might be a really important, powerful uh, profit generator, but you also have to be careful that you don't uh, do it too often. You know, Dan, a lot of our listeners are in the disaster restoration business, and I just want to throw out an example, and maybe you could comment on it. There is one large franchise nationally that uh, Serve Pro that has a commercial that just about everybody has seen somewhere along the way, and it, basically the tagline is like it never even happened or, or something along those ways. So somebody has a disaster, Serve Pro comes in, cleans it up, and it's like it never even happened. And, and a lot of our listeners do that type of work. They're not necessarily serve pros, but they do the exact same thing. What is the brand there or, or the value, I guess? And, and can you kind of walk us through real quick the, the, how to determine what your value is on that? Well, I mean, their, their tagline that it, it never really happened or like it never really happened, um, if everything they do in their business – it's about restoring something back to where it, where it was before the disaster happened. That would support the brand. And then the audience that they're targeting, whether it's homeowners or business owners or, or businesses um, or commercial, commercial areas, um, as long as they reinforce with their, with their marketing, when their restoration people show up on site, when they answer the phone, when they talk with people in their communities, if everything goes back to this idea of, you know, we make things as though it never happened, we make bad things go away as though they never happened, that would reinforce the brand. 
But let's say they, they, they started to um, offer another service or another product that was totally unrelated to that. Um, it could dilute their brand. Mm-hmm. Now, if one of your business listeners is not Pro but someone else, and they want to develop a brand, let's say they want to develop a brand where they, they – um, something like, we are there for you in times of need. So that might be a different way to be known. So everything that they do, from the, from the time the restoration people show up at a home, a damaged home or a damaged business, a commercial building, uh, is all about that tagline, that concept, then that will strengthen it. So we are there for you in times of need. So now when something goes wrong, they're thinking about, we are in a time of need right now. We should call this company. You know, you know uh, every great brand sticks out in someone's mind for a certain reason. You know, Apple to me is about simplicity. Dell to me is about uh, uh, a very inexpensive way to, to meet my computer needs. Starbucks to me is a treat. McDonald's McCafe is a is a um, uh, what would you call it a uh, a reasonable choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what whatever you want your business to be known for, that's the I mean whatever value you want to be known for, you want to reinforce that in every way that you can. So like in the restoration business, you know I've actually been to a, a person's home with a restoration company. And, you know, what I thought about was a almost like um, a doctor at a bedside talking to a patient. I mean, the, the way that the restoration person who was an expert on restoring the home talked to the homeowner with such caring, such, such um, patience, it really reminded me of a doctor at a bedside of a patient and a family and talking through this very difficult situation. And so maybe that's the value that you want to be known for. You know, we are we are there for you uh, in a really caring way. Hmm. Okay. Now, so so those, are the, those three questions, I do think, though, really should be at the forefront of anybody who wants to, to build a very clear brand. What's the value you want to be known for delivering? How are you going to deliver that value? And who are you going to deliver that value to? Uh, Cliff, do you have a follow-up on that? Because I got Val has the next one, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. All right, Val? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Can you comment on the space we occupy in the customer's mind? Yeah, every customer for every product. Like, for example, if I said to you, reasonable cup of coffee, people out there will have one or two slots in their mind or whatever that would be. If I said uh, a good quality TV, Customers will have in their mind one or two slots in their mind on, on what they would consider to be a good quality TV. If, if their house was damaged, they have one or two slots in their mind on where they would call. I mean, for some people, it might just be the yellow pages. Some people might actually have a company in mind. That would be a great brand. What you want to do, what every company wants to do, is to have – you want to be in one of those two slots in the person's mind. Because if you're the number three choice or the number four choice, you're not going to be in the customer's mind. They're not going to think of you at all. So that's really, really important that whatever category you want to be known for, that you're actually in those two slots. They're either thinking of you or they're thinking of one other option. 
But if they're but if you are the third option, then you're not going to get called on. So that's why it's so important. This whole idea of branding is to really know the category that you want to be known for. Like you were talking about SurPro, uh, and the slot they want to be known for is we want to be known if you ever have a disaster to to uh, as though it never happened. Somebody else might in the category might want to be known for if you're in a disaster, uh, we are here for you. So that's what great brands do. They carve out a space in the customer's mind. I like that. Cliff? Yeah. Um, what's the importance of being prepared to explain our decisions, Dan? Well, that, that thought is really more about in-house, although I suppose it could work out outside of a business as well. But inside of a business, when a business owner makes a decision, the number one reason for drama in in all companies that I've worked with, from the Fortune 100 to the small mom and pop companies, the number one reason for drama is lack of clarity. And it's usually lack of clarity over roles, responsibilities, or rationale. In other words, an employee gets really frustrated when they find out that another employee is in charge of something and they don't understand why. Or the boss gets frustrated with an employee because something didn't get done and the employee says, I didn't know that that was part of my responsibility. So um, it's really, really important to clarify who's responsible for what and why you decided to do that. Because people's feelings get hurt. You know, why did this new person get this responsibility and I didn't? Or why did this senior person get it and I didn't get a chance to do it? So if you're a business owner and you want to reduce the drama in your organization, I think it's really important that you clarify Who's responsible for what and why Why you've made that decision? That's a great point, Dan. And, and that's one of the hard things to do for business owners and for managers is you make a decision and it's like, look, this is – it's sort of like parents, you know. Why do I have to go to bed? Because I said so, you know. They don't want to explain it to the kid. And a lot of times business owners don't want to explain to their employees. And I I know I feel the same way. You know, well, look, I made this decision. You think, well, that should be obvious to everyone why. But I, I think explaining it is important. And even though it might be something that is difficult at times for you to do, you've got to do it. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, let's let's go into a little bit about um, success, okay? What what percentage of success is execution, Dan? No, I, I think really, if you could have kind of like a thirty thousand foot view of all the businesses that I've worked with over the years, from Toyota to McDonald's to uh, medium sized businesses to very small family owned businesses, I think it, the common denominators in every successful business are execution innovation, and branding. And so execution is really everybody knowing who's going to do what, when, and why that's going to happen. When you really have a clear understanding of who's responsible for what and when it needs to happen and why that's going to happen, and then those people in those roles are able to execute, are able to get those things done efficiently on time, uh, that's tremendously important. Innovation is as I said, creating appropriate value for your customers. No matter how well a company executes, if they're not innovating, if they're not figuring out what would be more appropriate value for customers or potential customers, they're going to stymie their business growth. And then branding is is tremendously important. If you're not one of the two slots in the person's mind for the category you want to be known for, 
then you're just not going to be called upon very often. So I really think execution represents one-third of a company's success, but those other two factors are very, very important as well. Cliff, did you have a follow-up on that? Um, how would I know if I would benefit from a, a business coach? You know, I've read books, I've gone to seminars, and, uh, you know, I think like many people, I tend to uh, start every year going on a diet and then just have a tendency not to follow through. So could you comment on that? Well, here's been my experience over the years. I've coached about 170 people now, wide range of people, very, very wide range of industries. What I look for, and maybe this would be of value for, uh, you know, if somebody is looking for a coach, what I find has been successful is three things. Is the person already a strong performer? If the person is a really a weak performer, having an outside coach is not going to help that person become a strong performer. So are they already doing a good job in what they're doing? Does the person really want to improve? Are they really wanting to, to become more effective in some aspect, either leadership or management or time management or um, innovation or branding or whatever it might be? So is the person a strong performer? Are they open to really improving? And then the third one is really important. Are they truly open to working with an outside person? Now, some people just aren't. They, they, they really come to a, they, they get very frustrated talking with an outside person because they feel, you know, I have the answers, I know better than they do, and I'm really wasting my time talking to an outside person. So if those three things are in place, if they really are strong right now, if they really want to improve and if they're really open to working with an outside person, then they might be in a position where, they, where a business coach could really be of value to that person. Thanks. Dan, you, that made me think about something. A lot of people in our industry, we have, you know, we, we deal with people who do indoor environmental quality investigations. We do contra uh, contracting work, you know, where they're cleaning asbestos or lead paint or disaster restoration people. We have a lot of people who are consultants who go in and look at buildings. And these, a lot of times these are smaller companies, but, but, what I'm getting at is a lot of times the people who have these businesses end up passing them down to a family member. And I'm looking at those three questions and I'm thinking, okay, um, this family member is probably not a strong performer in, in some cases. All right. Not always, but in, in many cases. Now they may want to improve and they may well be open to having an outside person. So if one of those three answers is no, and it's the one about strong performer, is there another way they should go, or would you just say maybe they ought to just not try and do this? Well, when you say a person is not a strong performer, there's usually one of two reasons. Either the person technically doesn't know what to do, um, so they need training on the technical aspect of whatever their job is, or they lack in motivation. They don't see the rationale behind becoming a strong performer. If it's a technical issue, then... Um, training on whatever the technical aspect of their job is to become better at that. If it's a motivation issue, then I would suggest that the, uh, you know, in your scenario, that the parent talk with the, the, the child, which is really an adult child, obviously, mm -hmm. but just say, you know, why is this job important to you? Why is this type of work what you want to do? I mean, sometimes within family-owned businesses, you may come to a conclusion that the person really doesn't want to be in that job. They don't really want to be in the family business. They really would love to go do something else. 
Well, no matter, you know, no outside business coach is going to, is going to get that person to love that work. So some degree of honesty within the family dynamic uh, about whether or not that person really wants to be there. If after that conversation, the person really does want to be there and says, you know what, I really have thought about my future. I really do want to be in this business and I really am willing to learn the technical issues. Then if they were to become a stronger performer, then at that point in time, which now we're talking about several months, then having an outside coach might be of value. But to bring in an outside coach for a, a poor performing family member um, probably is not going to be the first thing that I would recommend, for sure not myself. Gotcha. And that's I think that's important then, and I think it's commendable that you would just tell them, look, you know, you're, you don't want to pay me good money to come in there because I really can't help with this situation so or a business coach in general can't really help so I, I think that's very commendable and i appreciate your honesty with that particular topic and answer let's go cliff uh, you want to go to the roundup or is there one more you wanted to do before we do that um i i just have one more question so i can do it now or round up whatever works for you let's go to the roundup real quick we'll get dr wow on i'm sure he'll have a quick comment and then we'll take it from there Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Right. Let's let's start, Cliff. I know you had one more question. Let's start with you. Then we'll go to Doctor Wow, and uh, me and Val will finish it up. Yeah. Well, I noticed on your website, Dan, that you've written three business books. One's a fiction book. One's related to auto racing, and one's related to soccer. If I only had the time to read one of your books, which one would you recommend, and why? You know, I think the Management Five Hundred. Um, what I did was I used auto racing as an analogy for the business ideas I wanted to get across. And the reason I chose auto racing is I was looking for an industry where people had to go very, very fast, but they had to sustain their performance over a very long period of time. Not just a three-hour you know, NASCAR race, for example, or Indianapolis 500, but also for the, you know, the entire 12-month season. And it was really, really fascinating to study companies from Ferrari to um, uh, Toyota Racing to Roush Fenway Racing. And there's so many interesting analogies to the business world. You have to go fast. You've got to move fast, but you have to sustain excellence over a long period of time. So I would recommend the Management 500, which you can get at you know, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or uh, you know, wherever you'd like to order it from. I, I, I appreciate that. Go ahead. I, I think those are interesting types of books, too. I've read a, a few myself, and I'll have to pick that one up. Um, I had another one, actually. I was kind of cleaning up the bookcases. It was written by someone who used football coaches in the same way, you know, kind of looked at their leadership qualities. And I think that's an interesting way of, uh, you know, getting the point across to people in an entertaining way as well. Let's go to Dr. Wow. <laughs> Good day, Dieter. Do we have you? 
Absolutely. I am here. I listened very carefully. And uh, uh, thank you, Dan, for uh, a bunch of very, very good suggestions. And um, I'm the technical director. I'm an engineer. And one of the things that I was lacking my whole life, and I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I'm not ashamed of it, I am not a good manager. And I took uh, charm courses with Peter Drucker, or as he is known in Germany and Austria, Peter Drucker, and, uh, and, 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 and tried to learn those things. I'm just not very good at it. I'm also not very good as a defender in soccer, and I was very good on the right wing. <laughs> and I tried. But I think you made a couple of wonderful points. First of all, it's the lack of clarity or clarifying your point. If you don't have that, uh, we have pretty good coffee. Well, that's not going to make it. Absolutely not. The other thing is there is in everybody's brain is somewhere an available space, and you've got to go there, write it up. We make just a nice, cute little car that you may like. That is not good. The other thing is also, you've got to get to the point, and you've got to get to the point early. And you see, I see that every time I go to the Internet. I looked at something this morning. I don't even know what it was, and it doesn't matter. I got 17,000 hits. Well, if it's not on the first page, I am not going to go to 15,963. Forget it. Yep. Yep. You've got to be right there. Make your point and be specific. Specific. The other thing that I learned, that I learned from experience, is the value of an outside person. I worked for a huge company, worldwide uh, company, many many years ago. By the way, once in a while we pollute the air in St. Louis. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I worked uh, for them. And I was really starting, oh, good God, this is 35, almost 40 years ago. I was starting the Occupational Safety and Health Program at a time when no plant manager, nobody who was interested in money was interested in health and safety. So I was preaching left and right, and I said, ah, that is how he comes with the same story and so on. I finally hired a former professor of mine, who came in, and he was, uh, he was a famous guy, uh, Mort Korn. He was the assistant uh, secretary of labor, the, uh, the um, uh, uh, director of OSHA. And I, I said, Mort, you've got to come over over here. Mort gave a beautiful, he is an outstanding speaker, by the way, <laughs> gave a beautiful talk, exactly what I had been preaching for two years. People walked out of there and said, Wow, was that guy good. Now I get it. I don't look at myself as a lousy teacher, but it was just there. Hey, there is an outside person and so on. The other thing that I learned in my life, when you are an outside person, you sometimes look at things that the plant manager, that the foreman never ever looked at because we have done it this way all along. They don't look at and I said, why the hell do you do it like this? Oh, uh, well, well, that's how we did it. I said, why don't you do it like that? 
man, he said, that's a good idea. I was an outside person. I looked at a situation with completely different eyes. And that is what Dan is doing when he goes to his clients. They said, look, fellows, you are blindfolded. You have shades. <laughs> you got to do it this way and that way. And I think we all can learn from that. Uh, did we get, by the way, did we get the answer to the trivia question? We yes. Did. Yep. Is that Cosworth? Is it which one? Cosworth? Uh, no, it? actually, Offenhauser. Oh, off, uh, yeah. Offenhauser, Offenhauser, yeah. Midget car racing. Peter, <laughs> well, thanks good as German, always. Good German in the office, yep. Peter, <laughs> as always, uh, great insight. We appreciate you joining us. And uh, before we do go, though, Val, I know you have the last, Val gets the last question all the time, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dan, if you could just provide your contact info and also a website. Um and then we also like to give the guests the last word. So any final comments that you'd like to add? Well, my website is thecoglincompany.com. So my last name is C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N, and company is spelled all the way out. So it's thecoglincompany.com. Uh, last word? Uh, my last word would be be ready for your moments. Every day, every day in every business that I've ever been in, there's always moments a few moments each day where you can really step into that moment and really make an impact as a business leader. Could be listening to somebody, could be an email that you write, could be a voicemail that you leave, it could be a customer um, conversation. But there are moments in the day, and just be careful that you don't just go through the day and let those moments slide by, but really look for those moments and then step into them as a leader and really influence how other people think, whether you're your employees or your customers or potential customers. Well, that would be really my last uh, my last thought for the group. Dan, that's a that's a great thought, and it makes me uh, again realize that you know this is why we we do this show, and this is why we bring people like you on. It really helps. It helps us. It helps our our listeners, and I think it's a great service, and we really appreciate having you, Dan Coglin, author and executive coach at the Coglin company.com that's c-o-u-g-h-l-i-n thank you for joining us this week on iaq radio dan thank you very much joe i appreciate it all right this is radio joe hughes saying thanks to our guest this week dan Coglin. great job i also want to thank my co-host the z-man cliff another good one joe i enjoyed it very much so of course our engineer roxy v valbender Sure, thanks, Joe. Not one glitch today. It was beautiful. You've been <laughs> on a roll here for the last three or four weeks. It's yeah, not new, you. It's sometimes the, not you, but the, good stuff. the computer sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, I also want to thank our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, as always, for his insightful comments. Please come back and join us next Friday. Uh, growing group of loyal listeners, thanks for being here again this week. We'll see you next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. There's a train calling. You don't need no baggage. You just get on the board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel calling. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. There's a train joining, picking up passengers from Co.
IAQ Radio Production.